You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. We're looking at the life of Jesus, and this morning, um, I believe God wants to do something not only through the teaching of the Scripture, um, but of course primarily there, but I do believe He wants to visit us um, at the end of this service in the presence of His Holy Spirit uh, to meet us. This is not a textbook. This is not even a history book. This is God's living and active Word. The book of Hebrews says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts into soul and spirit. In other words, this book is not like every other book. This is not just a book full of history or a book full of information or a, a, a book full of good ideas. This is God's living Word. This has the power to shape. This has the power to crush, to cut. This is His inerrant, perfect Word. This morning, I want that uh, weight to press you. You know, often I feel like we come to church and when we hear worship, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I can tell you really like that last song we sung today because I heard everybody's voice go, I like this one. Right? You kind of, I like this one. First two, ah, pretty good. I like that one. No, that's fine if we like certain songs of preference. I'm not against that. I like that song too. Gives, you know, gives me chills. I like that. You know, I'm kind of looking around wondering if there's an air conditioner blowing. But I, I'm enjoying that, right? That, that's good. But we have to be careful that we don't turn this into consumerism where we look at what songs we like or what scripture we like. And then at the end of it, we kind of vote. Right, like we sit around our table, like we're at a restaurant, and depending on what the waitress, how good or how good the waiter performs, we go, yeah, he's worth twenty percent. Nah, terrible. I'll write him a tip. Try again. Right? That's not what this is, because today my job is not to perform for you. If if you if you want that, I'm going to sorely disappoint you this morning. My job is to take this Bible verse, this section of scripture, and give it to you, and then you say, what am I going to do about this? Now that I know this, how is this going to change me? Not, let's look at the Bible and go, yeah, I'm a fan. I didn't really like that today. Great. That's not up to you. This is true regardless of if how awful I portray it or not. This is God's word. Let it press our hearts. Mark chapter 1 Verse 40 through 45, we're looking at the life of Jesus. And a leper, not leopard, this isn't an animal, all right? A leper came to him, being Jesus, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him, And he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. 45 says, But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. 
Now, leprosy, when we see that word, we have to understand that, that scripturally, uh, leprosy, growing up, I kind of you know, thought it was that limbs were falling off of people. It was this terrible skin condition, and it encompasses that. But leprosy is really this kind of generic term, if you will, for skin disease. And we see this in the book of Leviticus, where God sets out for his chosen people, Israel, that when he makes his covenant with them, he says, this is how I want you to handle disease. This is how I want you to handle leprosy. And what happens, as we see in the book of Leviticus, that when somebody contracted leprosy and or was born with it, you were ostracized. Uh, This was something that, to contract leprosy, you were pushed away. Uh, Interestingly enough, we see in the book of Leviticus, it kind of this uh, over this process, it starts off, if you've kind of got a little skin rash, right? Then you, you show up, you go to the priest, you go, I got a skin rash. And he goes, well, how bad is it? And, it, uh, you know, is it topical? Is it this? And then depending what it was, they'd put you in a room for seven days on your own, which uh, I'm an extrovert and kind of somewhat claustrophobic, so I don't even know what I would do in that situation. The reason I'm claustrophobic is not because of the space, it's the lack of people, so it just makes me nervous. But, all right, Whew, try it again. They put you in a room for seven days, and then you'd come out and you'd say, look, you know, here's my arm or here's my whatever is going on. And then you'd come out and they'd go, okay, good. Or they'd say, now that you're good, now you make this sacrifice, go through this protocol, and then you can come back into society, come back with the people, everything's good. But if you were a severe case, if you were somebody who was, didn't just have a case of leprosy, but if you, be, you, be, if you became a leper, You were ostracized. You were put out. And not only were you put out uh, in the sense that you couldn't interact, but now people wouldn't interact with you either in that this. They wouldn't touch you. They wouldn't be near you. We see this in the book of Kings where there's a a group of lepers hanging out and it shows us that the leprosy then almost became somewhat of a caste system where people began to only fellowship with those people because they were unclean, I'm unclean, we're all unclean together. But what we see here is so fascinating. This is the God. Why would Mark write this specific account? Why would he do it? You've got 16 chapters. 16 chapters. Have you ever uh, tried to sit down and, and maybe write out um, like something, not like a paper for school that you're just trying to crush out and you're making up paragraphs that don't make sense? We've all been there, done that. But you, you're like, how can I get, and this has got to have, you know, eight pages. By the end of it, you're just repeating yourself. You're looking up synonyms. You're saying the same sentence with just new words, right? This is not that. When you sit down and you're writing something of an extreme importance, you start to realize, I could keep writing. I'm only, done the, I'm only on the first chapter of my life here, and, and I've got a book done. How can I reduce this? How can I give to somebody only what is necessity? Why does Mark tell us right off the bat, chapter 1, Jesus heals a leper. Look back at the story. It says this. He comes in, he kneels down. If you will heal me. Verse 41 says, And moved with pity or compassion, he stretched out his hand, and what did he do? Touched. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the leper. Saying what? I'm making myself unclean by touching you. But instead of Jesus somehow becoming infected, he heals him. Now this is interesting because right here we see the nature of God contrasting against uh, really the, 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 the poison of religion and how the human heart is pulled. See, if you came down with a case of leprosy, 
first thing you would do, you would look at that thing and you go, I gotta wash myself. You know, I came down with some poison ivy, I came down with whatever. You go and you'd be washing that thing, whatever, you get that gold bond medicated powder, start rubbing that stuff on. I don't know what your deal is, calamine lotion. That's the pink stuff, right? I always wanted to drink that when I was a kid because it looked like Pepto Bismol. But you, you get that stuff and you, and you, you wanna get cured of this. You know, you, you just came down with a case of leprosy. How can I get rid of this thing? But if you're a leper, this isn't something you can deal with anymore. See, the poison of religion says this, that, well, I just have a little case of leprosy in my life. It's just, I've just, I just contracted this thing just for a little bit. And if I could clean myself up, if I could just wipe this off, and then I could go to the priest, and I could get back into this. But what we see here is that he is a leper. Now, the tendency often is like in Luke we try to find somebody that's a little bit lower than us and a little bit better than us and leverage right in between the two of them. We look at somebody and go, well, I'm not really a leper. I mean, you know, I haven't really done anything that bad. You know, I'm not really that. The moment somebody asks you, are you a good or bad person, we kind of go right for I didn't kill anybody, right? I told you that before. I was in New York one time and we were doing some uh, in inner city um, like sh- uh, thing called breakout. It was really great. And I was talking to the guy and I was kind of walking him through the need for grace. And he's like, you know, I said, well, you know, it's not like you killed anybody. And he's like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> and I said, let's go at it from a different angle. So <laughs> true story. I promise that's true. But, you know, honestly, we look at ourselves and we, we, we don't see the gross self-turning inward of sin. We, we don't see that because we look at the surface and we, we live in a world of masks. I mean, what other society do we put makeup on people that pass away? They got to look good before we close. Right? They're going and we put makeup on them to make sure they look good to close it because we wouldn't want them to look like they're dead when they're dead. The, the, now, I'm not against makeup. I, uh, you know, well, I'm... For myself, I am personally, but we live in a culture of facades, of covering. We look at a word like this, and a leper came to him. Mark is trying to imply something here. He's not implying there's a small little group of people that really need Jesus, and the rest of you get to sit back and go, oh, he's really nice for the people that really need him. He's trying to show us, we're the leper. That's me. I've got a case of leprosy that you might not see on the surface. You might not look and go, well, that guy's really got something because I can hide it. I can cover it. But I am that leper. I'm the one that's ostracized. I'm the one that's ostracized from God. But yet, what does he do? He doesn't say, you can cleanse yourself. No, Christ comes to him. This is, this is the beauty of the God we serve. We don't come to God. We don't clean ourselves up. And then we go through a religious system. And he says, well, great. You've really done good. You, you've had a really great week. I'm ready, I'm ready to bless you. You know, you were really on time at church. And you volunteered at a few things. And you, you know, you organized some, you know, thing for an animal shelter or a food bank. And like, God's like, wow, you know, I really can use that guy now. No. He comes to lepers. He cleanses lepers. Jesus tells him this. I sternly charge you, don't tell anybody. Why would he say that? Jesus is trying to keep it on the down low. He says, but go show it to the priests. Go show it to the priests. Now, Jesus isn't anti the, um, the priests, but what, at that time, the religious system took what was supposed to empower and restore and heal these lepers as much as they could. 
restore them back to society. And they began to ostracize them. I began to look, actually, you know, in the Old Testament. And all they do is talk about God's gracious restoration for these lepers. But yet, in the New Testament, we see none of that. All we see is the religious system of the day being built up to the point where these people are being ostracized. Jesus sends him back, not because he's not wanting people to necessarily know about his miracle. He wants them to see that without God's divine healing, there is no chance for restoration. There's no chance. It reminds me of the story in thinking about this. 2 Kings chapter 5. I was just thinking of some different stories of leprosy. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 2 Kings chapter 5. The story of Naaman. We'll read this because it's a little bit of a lengthy story, but I think what you're going to see here is really necessary this morning in regards to God's grace towards us. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. You should have it on the screen behind me if you're looking, or you can use the table of contents, either or. Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and in high favor because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. What does it say? He was a leper. He's a mighty man of valor, but... You ever been talking in a conversation? There's such a great person, but... It's kind of that that right there, that conjunction, junction, what's your function, right? When that thing lands, come on. You know, something's, something's coming out. You start reading this, and this sounds like the beginning of a storybook. Naaman... Commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man. This doesn't sound like a high favor because the Lord had given him victory, but he was a leper. Right there it drops off. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl. Everyone say, aww. Okay, it touches me. I'm not sure about you. Carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord, with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord thus and spoke to the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. In other words, they carry off this girl from one of their raids. They come back. And this girl's like, That guy's got a bad case of leprosy and I know somebody that can heal that. There's a prophet in the land of Israel. All you got to do is get to him. And you can be whole. So it says this. So he went and taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Um, I almost made a joke that's... All right, I'll try again. Sorry. All right. There's more that comes in than comes out sometimes. I apologize. So, so My filter, I just grew in patience and all kinds of character there. He grew. All right. He takes with him ten... Ten talents of silver. That's about 750 pounds of silver. He takes, this is a lot of silver. He takes 150 pounds of gold and ten changes of clothing. He's either really sweaty or just loved fashion. I'm not sure what that was about. One of the two. So he takes with him 750 pounds of silver. So how many of us know you, you can't carry that on your own? Maybe some of you, but most of us can't carry 750 pounds of silver on your own. I'm not really sure how 750 pounds of silver comes. So Naaman plans this caravan. He plans this huge adventure with people. 750 pounds of silver, 75 pounds of uh, of gold. He's walking back now. He says this. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which reads, When this letter reaches you, know that I've sent you to Naaman, my servant, 
that you may cure him of leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that man send word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king and said, Why are you tearing your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 9, So Naaman came out with the horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying this, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, watch this, but Naaman went away angry saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farapa the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Verse 13, but a servant came near and said, My father, it's a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? This is an amazing story. Naaman is traveling with this huge caravan of 750 pounds of gold, 75 pounds of or 150, 150 pounds of gold, 750 pounds of silver. A little struggling on my business math today. This huge caravan arrives on the scene. They're all outside of the prophet's house now. And the prophet doesn't even come outside. Messenger's like, ah, go tell him to dip in the Jordan seven times. His first reaction is like, hold up. Don't you see that I have chariots and people, 150 pounds of gold, 700 pounds of, 750 pounds of silver waiting for you? Go wash in the Jordan. And he goes, that is the dirtiest river I can imagine. I'm not doing this. This is nonsense. This is garbage. What I love about this is, though, then his servant just goes, well, honestly, this is a really good word you just got. What's the word? Just go and do it. Just go and dip. Just dip in the Jordan River seven times. Everything will be all right. Scripture says this, So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, what is this? Is this just a random story in the Old Testament? Is this just something that we look at and we go, Ah, it's kind of odd. Or you kind of got to, you know, something's going on. You know, all I know is every time I jump in a water that doesn't look good, I come out with leprosy. I don't leave without it, right? You know, when I go out, when I come out, I come out with a leech on the back of my leg. I'm, what in the world is that? I've never got, I've never come out healed when I go into dirty water. I've contracted other things, but I've never gotten better. So what's the point of this story? The point of the story is not go find a dirty water if you're sick and dipping it seven times probably be worse off. What's the point of this? The Jordan River is where Jesus was baptized. The Jordan River is where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. What do we see in 2 Kings is this, that God does not interact with us on the basis of our status and or accomplishments. He doesn't look at us and say, you're a great king of Syria. You have wonderful achievements in your life. And because you're so wonderful, I'll bless you. Because you've done this, I'll be good to you. Or wow, I'm moved with the fact that you're wealthy in this world. God actually looks at that 
and says, I won't do it. I don't function on a caste system. I don't function on the basis of your educational merit or on the basis of your family or economic status. I don't do any of that. What do I function on? You obeying my word. That's it. And we see what happens to the religious person in that moment. You know, grace is the most, until you're offended at grace, you haven't grasped it. Until you look at it in the eyes and you recognize there's nothing I can do in my flesh to get closer to God. Only by his finished work do I have access to him. Until you've encountered that, you know what happens? Until you wrestle and start to go, well, hold on. God, you, you, really, you really don't care about where I come from or if I'm a king of Syria or if I... I don't think stealing a little girl is a great credential in that passage, but I guess it's debatable in certain cultures. He doesn't look at that. You, you've earned it this week. You got it. Now, what does he do? He looks at him and says, go and dip in the Jordan. Why could he dip in the Jordan seven times and then come out clean? Because Christ would be baptized into that some that same river years later and in his baptism identifying, and I can only imagine that that water, the same water, now I don't know if it evaporated and went in the clouds and it's off somewhere in the Mississippi at that time, but that same body of water, he dips in it and comes out. And in that moment, Jesus was familiar with this story. Jesus is familiar with this. And he goes, when this guy comes out, the reason he can be healed is because I'm going to go to the cross and take his sickness. I'm going to purchase for something. I'm going to purchase something by grace that this person can have simply by receiving. Wow. Just go and do it. I love that. Religion. The religious mind is offended at the gospel. Why? Because it wipes all of us right down. It puts us all at the same place in need of his grace. Wipes us down completely and we need grace. He says this. I'm offended. I thought he would tell me, you're going to come out and wave at me and in an instant. Wouldn't that be great if God worked like that in our lives all the time? And he, and he can. Wouldn't that be great though, you've got a situation in your life and you just come out and everybody stand up, lift your hands. May the force be with you. And it's just done. Healed. Everything's, everything's gone. Everything's perfect. If I could just get to him. Yet God shows us he won't interact with anybody on that basis because if he interacts with anyone, he has to interact with everybody like that. He interacts with us on the basis of his word alone. That's his grace. This is the important part of this message. All of that was prefaced to say this. God doesn't only cleanse us, he commissions us. We have to be careful, especially as a church that focuses so much um, on God's, I'm saying this as a danger. We have to be careful as a church that focuses so much on God's supreme grace, so much on his grace, that we don't, look at the Christian life as if we're running up a mountain and every time we almost get to the top, he wipes our feet out. As if every time I almost get to close, you know, closer to God, then he wipes my feet out and then I go, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We have to be careful. Because grace doesn't just say, well, you're never going to reach God. No, grace says that God reached us, that God came to us. 
through the person of Jesus Christ, living that perfect, sinless life. But then this is what he does. He doesn't just cleanse us of our leprosy. He commissions us. Later on, we see in the Gospels, over and over, Jesus commissions his disciples to cleanse the leper. To cleanse the leper. Now, that doesn't mean giving people sponge baths or anything like that. How do you cleanse a leper? You can't do that. He tells them, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. How, how do you do that? You can't do that on your own. How do you cleanse the leper? You show up and you're like, mm, no. When he, when, he, when he told them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, right then, that should have been that stopping point of going, I can't do this. Because I've already tried that and it didn't work. What Jesus says is, by my word, heal the sick, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. God is still doing this today. He still does it today. He still heals the stick, the sick, and sticks, I guess, if they're falling on the ground. He can do that as well. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. He still heals the sick. He still raises the dead. He still cleanses lepers. And he still casts out demons. And how does he do it today? How does he do it? I think a lot of times we'd go, well, God, if you would just kind of do this miraculously, just wave a hand from the sky, he could do that. But what I see in the New Testament, the pattern over and over is this, and we'll see it in the next few weeks with Mark, is that Jesus is our healer, and he commissions his body to bring that same healing to the world. He commissions us to bring that healing to the world. The lepers, to cleanse them. The demons, to cast them out. The sick, to heal them. Oh, as, as our minds wrestle with this, I'm, I'm sure right away we think, well, I've, I've prayed for the sick, and I haven't seen them healed, and you know, I've, I've tried to cast out a demon. Actually, I'm not sure how many of us tried to cast out a demon. If you tried to cast out a demon and it beat you, like in the book of Acts, when they go to the seven sons of Sceva, try to cast out the demon, and I love it, it just says that they walked away naked and overpowered. That means you lost. I'm not a huge fan of boxing, but um, typically it's a real close fight. You're like, oh, it's a split decision. If you walk away naked, bleeding, and overpowered, that typically means you lost. If if not, you're like, you should see the other guy. He's he's in even worse shape. No, there's not. No, you're naked, bleeding, lost. No, maybe you've had that experience in your life, though, and you look at it and you go, I've prayed for this thing, and I haven't seen it happen. I've tried to cast out a demon. I left naked, bleeding, and overpowered. That would be uncomfortable. Whatever, Whatever happened I tried to, to, it just didn't work. How do we handle that? I'll start off with a, with a great qualifying statement. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is this. He tells us to pray. And I also know I'm really bad when I drive staring at the rearview mirror. I see God's word in front of me. He tells me, pray for the sick. Cast out demons. And if I focus on his word, I recognize I can see more and more and more of what he's doing. But if I drive staring at that rearview mirror all day, I guarantee you you're going to crash. My hope is this. We, and if this makes you nervous or uncomfortable, then um, you know, I'd be happy to talk later or something like that. As a church, we have to pursue more than just being sinners saved by grace. 
We are sinners saved by grace. Absolutely. But this is the foundation. This is the beginning. He cleanses us and then sends us out into that world. Uh, make a statement just to ease all of your um, concerns, because if anyone's theologically minded here, they're saying, is Jared saying that God is going to heal everybody? My theological answer to that is, I hope so. I hope so. Is he going to? No, not until Christ returns. It's not going to be perfect. This world's not going to be restored. It's not going to be perfect until he returns. But in the meantime, I'm not supposed to look at this thing and go, well, I'm just... I'm not really sure. He's not going to do it, so I'm just not going to pray. No, he told me to pray. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can we stand together as we close? One of the biggest dangers of Christianity is that we could reduce this down to just a, a philosophy. Or we could reduce it down just to um, just a good way of thinking or a way that we want to apply it to our lives. Just say, well, you know, I like this part. I don't like that part. Let us play it. Right here in verse 41, in the beginning of our text, we see God's character displayed perfectly. person comes and says, if you will heal me, if you would, if you would heal me, Jesus looks at him with compassion, with pity, and says, I will be clean. You know, it amazes me when we talk about physical healing, when we talk about God touching something physically in our bodies or our life situations, it's amazing how we make the will of God so mysterious. It's like, you know, I don't question what, what shirt he wants me to wear when I wake up in the morning. Like, you know, do I want a blue shirt or a white shirt? God, what is your will? What shirt do I wear? Like, oh, I'm out of the will of God. Have you ever met, I've met people like that. They pray about everything they do, and they're really weird. I don't wake up in the morning and go, like, God, do you want me to do my hair or not do my hair? Like, is, Lord, let thy will be done as I drive through this stoplight. No, I'm going to stop. I'm going to see a red light, and I'm going to stop. What, why, do, why do we make God's will so miraculous? And, and if you know me for any sense of time, you, you recognize that I've got an incredible high view of God's sovereignty. The fact that he works all things together for good in this broken, twisted world. Regardless of if I like it or not, it's in the end will serve his purposes. Absolutely. But why do we theologize ourselves out of what God could do in our lives? We're we're the leper. God, if you'd make me clean. I've never seen a prayer that starts off like, Lord, I'm just going to give you a way out in case you don't want to do this. No, Lord, if you would. He's imploring. He's asking him, God, would you move in my situation? He could have easily just walked away. And I have that tendency as myself to just kind of look at life and go, well, this is just circumstances. It's just the way life's going to be. So I'm just going to walk away and say, it is what it is. It's God's will. Well, if that's the case, the leper could have still had leprosy. He just walked away. Oh, God gave me leprosy. It is what it is. Oh, he went to God and asked, Lord, would you move in my situation? This morning, we're going to pray for just a few moments. And I believe there are those of us here who've got all different types of situations. Perhaps it's physical healing. And I don't want to reduce it to that, but I do want to include that. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's something, maybe it's a family member 
Something that you've been praying for for a long time and you look at it and just through that lens of like, well, you know, God, if it's at your will, you're just going to do it on your own. I would love if that was the way it would work. But he uses us. He uses our prayer. This morning, we want to pray for a few moments. That's what we're going to do. Can I have uh, the worship team come forward just for a few moments this morning as we close? It's 2.35 right now. And um, we'll be out of here by about 5.30. So everyone's like, look at the clock. What is it? No, it's 12.12. You'll make it, all right? (laughs) You'll get through it a little bit longer, all right? You know, at City Lights, we've tried to kind of explore what is this, how do, we, how do we pursue God's real miraculous work in our lives without being weird and being honest? How, how do we do this? How, how do we pursue him without, without being weird and, and not just looking at Christianity as just a philosophy or even just a theology? How do we believe for God's spirit to really move in our lives in the here and now? How do we do that? And I'm going to ask you to, 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 to go on that journey with me. Now, I don't want to look at an extreme from one church and say, well, I don't want to be like them, so I'm going to run from the other extreme. And I don't want to look at something else and just say, I want to look at the scripture and say, God, how can we cultivate here a place that pursues his presence, that sees God heal and deliver and set free? I just ask if you would really join me on that. As the worship team begins to play this morning, we're going to take a few moments and pray. And if you have any, 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 any situation, I want to bring that before God. If it's physical ailment or illness or somebody in your life is dealing with that, we want to pray for that this morning. We want to believe that God can do that. And I want to hope. I want to trust Him. If it's a family member that is away from the Lord or whatever. We want to pray for that this morning. Can we do that?